Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick in roughly chronological order of their publication. In today's episode, we'll be looking at Nanny. So Nanny was published in 1955, but you actually you find it in the, the first volume of the Eclectic Stories. Um, you know, the reason for that is the collective stories are arranged based on roughly when they were submitted to his agent. So close to when they were written. And Nanny was written way back in 1952 around stories like Prize Ship and Colony and King of the Elves, which I think we looked at way early in this, this podcast. Um, but it took him like three, three years or so to finally get into print. And that, that's not uncommon, but this, this story is a bit of a throwback to a little bit earlier in his his career but actually it has some thematic ties to other stories we see in 1955 such as uh, foster your dad or auto fact in the sense it's it's dealing with consumerism so in that sense it's not so much a throwback as we might expect so it's it's about child rearing in, in child in automation and and technology and that's what the story is about it was it was first published in startling stories in the spring issue of 1955 huh. so um let's let's just jump into the story um i always love it when philip dick wrote about the relationship between parents and children because i think it's one of his most fascinating themes and something he actually spends quite a bit of time on. And I, I think it's actually quite complex and, and interesting, especially in stories like Dr. Futurity. But um, in Nanny, it's, it's a nice little tale um, that kind of about planned obsolescence, actually, which is also a theme in, in Foster or Dead. So it's, it's kind of cool that these two stories that were kind of written a few years apart, but were published at the same, around the same time, were so thematically consistent. All right, so one of our characters is, well, we're in the Fields family. That, that's our, our, the family, the suburban family that is the cornerstone of this story. So Mary Fields is talking to her husband, Tom, about how much Nanny, capital N, Nanny, has helped with the two children. She gets them ready for school. She keeps them safe throughout the day, so she's their protector. And she puts them to bed at night. Now, Nanny doesn't make dinners, but she doesn't have to because that task is completed by the automated kitchen. She begins to tell Tom about some strange things, though, that she's seen happening with Nanny. But before she can tell their story on this, she's interrupted by the kids coming home. And it's revealed that Nanny is a large, sphere-shaped robot. Right? We actually got a kind of a picture of them in, in the original pub published essay. They look... Yeah, there's kind of round spheres with kind of antennas and and on half tracks, it seems. Um, but that that's how it is. It's a large sphere shaped robot. Now, when 
the children and Nanny leave, Mary begins to voice her concern again. Now, notice the parent, children don't have much of a relationship with the parents. It's, it's all with Nanny. So the children come home they with Nanny, and they go play with Nanny. Nanny helps them with the homework. She does all of those things for them. Mary, So Mary tells her concern again that she thinks that Nanny may need repairs soon because she's going out at night into the backyard. Now, that night, Nanny leaves the house and goes to the yard. And we see what Mrs. Fields was worried about actually manifest. Outside there, she sees a neighbor's nanny. So all the families have them. They're, they're not like prototypes. It's, it's, they're all over the community. And these nanny robots are everywhere. These child-rearing machines. She sees the neighbor's nanny. It's a large blue robot built by a competing company. So there, there's actually enough of a market for these that they've developed their own brands and versions of it. And they battle, they fight. The blue robot robot was larger and more than a match for Nanny. So in the morning, the fields are shocked to find Nanny dented and damaged inside the house. So they don't know what happened or what caused it, and they call the repair shop. The repairman advises the fields to get a new Nanny because the old damaged one won't be the same. It won't be able to fully be recovered. And even if they can fix it, it won't really ever be the same. Tom realizes at once that the repairman is really trying to upsell them on a new model. And, and he says, no, we're gonna, we want it repaired. We want Nanny repaired. So um, later on at the playground, Nanny is with the kids. And she's struggling to function because uh, she has all the damage parts. She hasn't been repaired yet, so she's kind of breaking down. Bobby fields the kids, starts to ask intimate questions of Nanny such as, how are they born? What happens when they die? These are the kinds of questions that parents should be talking to kids about, but instead the kids go to the nanny for that. And now later on, they compare their nanny to the orange one playing with some neighbor kids. Bobby and Jean Fields insist that their nanny is a superior model. And two, and soon the two nannies begin fighting, just like happened at night. Here they're, they're fighting. Now Bobby in tears comes home, reports that nanny was killed. Now, from Bobby's point of view, Nanny is, is kind of like almost his mother was, was killed by this other mother. It's, you know, I don't know how often kids actually see their parents fighting other parents and what that might be the psychological impact on them. But that's sort of what happened to Bobby here is he saw his nanny smashed by a, another nanny. Tom Fields goes out looking for a new one to purchase, this time from a different company. The clerk that tries tries to sell Tom the Imperator Deluxe model. So they, these models have different names. And this is the Imperator Deluxe model, which has all the new upgrades and it will be a quote-unquote match for all the other robots, all the other models out there. Tom confronts him with uh, why he keeps needing to have the constant upgrades. Why can't you just get one and why isn't it good enough? But they always have to get better, right? The clerk offers some platitudes about improving quality and the necessity of staying ahead of obsolescence. And so Tom eventually has to break down and buy it because he's not capable of raising his kids anymore. His wife's not capable of doing that. They don't know how to do any of these things that the nanny does. So he has to buy it. Tom returns home and introduces the new nanny to the children. Now, meanwhile, another family finds their nanny destroyed and begins to think about buying a new model. So the implication here is that the new nanny that the fields bought is now the kind of the boss of the neighborhood and can destroy the other nannies, forcing them to buy new upgraded models. So as, as you see, this story is simply about 
planned obsolescence. Or let's see, that's heart. It's about planned obsolescence. But it's a really interesting way of doing it. It's to, you program these robots to have animosity towards other nannies, and so they, they fight. And in a sense, you'd want a robot like this to be at least be capable of some kind of defense because they're, part of their goal is to protect children. But it's just a little bit of an extension of creativity beyond that to say, well, let's make it so they fight to you know, destroy weaker models, forcing those people to keep up. Right, so you can't really keep these old models around anymore. You can't get by with the old model. It's it's very much like Foster Your Dead, where kind of the system itself builds up, builds in this planned obsolescence, forcing people to buy new models every few years. So Nanny is a is really a, a critique of technology, of consumerism, and the suburban family. And even though these are themes he's talked about a lot by this point in his career. At the time it was written, he hadn't yet fully fleshed out all of his thoughts on these things. So, you know, you have to separate when it was published from when it was written. Dick explores the dangers of automation in earlier tales, of course, but it's really in Nanny that he's able to nail down with precision the impact of automation on people's abilities. All right, and here's the key point here. Beyond the planned obsolescence stuff and the fact that we're all kind of suckered into purchasing new models all the time of things. There's the deeper issue here is how does automation affect our ability to do things? Mary and Tom Fields are biological parents of Bobby and Jean, but they perform none of the duties of parents. The only thing they do is pay the bills and buy the nanny. The children are much closer to the nanny emotionally than they are to their parents. Intellectually, they're closer to nanny. They ask serious philosophical questions. These are the kind of questions that all kids asked towards their parents. But they're, again, they're asked towards nanny, not the parents. They don't even think of going to the parents for answers to questions like, where do we come from? Meanwhile, the house is automated. Meals are prepared for, the, for them in the kitchen, by the kitchen. Nanny gets the kids ready for school, brings them home at the end of the day. She's responsible for discipline. She's responsible for protection. The reader suspects that Mary and Tom could not perform these duties because it's never even thought like, let's not buy a new nanny. They do try to weasel their way out of, of purchasing a new one by getting their old one fixed. But it's never really taken seriously that maybe we can do without it. When nannies destroyed, they literally have no choice but to purchase another automated parent. Now, this isn't just about keeping up with the Joneses, something we've seen in, in Foster Your Dead. It's about a fundamental incapacity of these characters to function as a normal adult parent. It's their atrophy. Their, any parental skills they once had were atrophy. They don't even have instinctual parental abilities anymore. It's all been taken away by automation. We can list other talents that technology has atrophied in our own world, right? How many of us are probably worse spellers than previous generation because of spell check or worse at arithmetic or even things like navigating roads, right? With um, what's the GPS systems and all the cars now, and you know, people used to be able to have to read maps and find their way around communities and, and know the short, figure out shortcuts on their own. That, those are skills that are being atrophied because people just kind of listen to their GPS. So this is part of Dick's developing criticism of consumerism. The critique and nanny runs essentially two ways. First, we have this planned obsolescence. That's really fun, well done here. It's funny. It's, it's creative. 
you know, the idea that we program these nannies to beat on each other, to fight each other. And, you know, they can defend themselves from attacks because they're trying to defend their children. But when they're destroyed or beaten up or busted, parents are forced to purchase new nannies at an alarming rate. And every new one in the community can beat around the other nannies and force them to keep up. So it's this, it's kind of worked in. This plan of obsolescence is worked in and you always have to buy the new model. Even Tom's awareness of what is happening here is not enough to change his basic consumer behavior, right? He's, he's a bit hesitant to buy a new one, but he ends up doing it anyways because he can't live without a nanny. Certainly, this is corporate machinations. This is all in the programming of the nanny. There's no good reason for these things to fight. But more devastating, and the other level that this story works on, is the attitude of the children towards nanny. Nanny has replaced their parents at both the physical and intellectual and the moral level. By not performing the basic duties and not having the skills to be parents, the parents also surrender the emotional and moral duties of parentage. The children love Nanny. They ask it the deep and profound questions of life. Quote, are nannies born? Were there always nannies? Maybe there was a time before there were nannies. I wonder what the world was like in the days before nannies lived, end quote. They see Nanny as their real parents. The biological parents are just familiar strangers. And, you know, this is something Dick played within progeny as well, where education becomes the means of making parents and children strangers to one another. The parental aloofness that horrified Dick so much is on display. And as we also have rampant consumerism here that can be explained as byproducts of the suburban setting. Both of the fields and their children are obsessed with how the neighbors see them. They get their value from keeping up with them. This tendency towards conspicuous consumption is easily hijacked by corporations. The corporations that build, that repair, and replace nannies. Dick believed the robotic nanny was a mere extension of the parenting he saw among middle class and wealthy suburbanites. Right? People, of course, do often hire nannies, human nannies, to raise their kids. And in doing so, they lose their ability to do these parental duties. They lose some of the emotional connection to their children as well. If you're willing to hire nannies to raise your children, robots doing the same thing are not much of an extension. And you don't even have to pay them regular wages. If, at the same time, the affluent individuals make the transition from having servants wash their clothes to washing machines. Right? At one time, you know, people who didn't want to wash clothes had servants doing that. But now you can afford a washing machine. And, and so that's not, you know, throwing the clothes in there is not that much of a burden. Now, Dick is a conservative in regards to uh, family life. He wants to have more traditional family life, and he's a conservative in terms of technology. He's, a, he's certainly a technophobe, and he's fearful of what technology is going to do um, to people's skills, their talents, their autonomy, their freedom, the environment they, they live in. And I, I've already talked several times in this podcast about my feeling on how Dick maybe was not open enough to the opportunities for automation to really liberate us from work and make us more human. I, I don't think there's a contradiction between technology and humanism and automation and humanism, right? I, I don't think we lose anything of our essential humanity if we have like coal mining robots that will do that coal mining job for us and means many of us won't have to go down and suffer 
horrible conditions in coal mines, risking their lives and getting black lung and all that. That's good for me. I'm not sure Dick thought that was good, or at least he wasn't imagining imaginative enough of what a really a post-scarcity, post-work world could look like. For, for him, it would be kind of horrible, but I'm not sure it would be. Um, but he's also conservative on family, and that really comes off here. He does think the, the, the kind of classical, traditional family still has its place. Uh, now, here we have the strain, the destruction of the family made possible by corporate power and the corporations. Um, so what else do we have here? Um, there's, there's a lot of themes here. You know, we, we, we're seeing more and more talk about robotic sex dolls. Uh, so robotic partners, but I think robotic nannies are possible. Uh, robotic teaching could be a thing. And that's something Dick does play with in the, st the novel Martian time slip. Um, we have the whole issue of plan obsolescence here which is big in fact corporations do plan obsolescence into their products there's just been a news report not long ago about how uh, apple's been slowing down the speed of their older models of iphones basically again forcing people to buy new ones the people who take good care of them and old iphones and so they don't have to constantly upgrade are being punished for that by apple we see how we have evidence here that technology undermines skills like spelling and arithmetic right people aren't as good at spelling um you know and then there's other skills that a lot of us don't have because of technology right can't hunt I'm, i don't know how to hunt right i'm not really good at building fires oh i'm okay i, I went through boy scouts but i'm sure my ancestors were much better at building fires but you know, I can do other things. So I don't know if that's bad, but this idea that technology will undermine our skills is, is, a, is a key point. And then I, I want us to think also about the class dimension of child rearing, right? This is kind of a middle class thing. I, we don't get a window into like maybe the poor families that can't afford nanny. Are they still kind of the conservative traditional families? I, I reckon that's the case. So this is kind of a middle class thing. And we've already seen upper class people basically export the raising of their children to nannies and and governesses and things like that that's a that's his kind of historical fact so anyways great story really fun even though it, it was written way back in 1952 it 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 fits in well with the stories of 1955 which are in many ways about consumerism there's a lot of consumer stories in that period of his his writing um but anyways thank you so much for listening to this episode of the philip k dick book club if you have any comments on the story, please leave them below. If you, what's your feeling on the robot nanny? Would, would you buy one if they were available? Um, what do you feel about Dick's views on consumerism? But uh, if you have responses, please leave them below or you can write me at 100pagescast at gmail.com and I'll, I'll try to get back to you. I'll try to respond to some of your comments online if you do send them to me, especially if you send me an email. So uh, again, thank you so much for listening, and I'll be back shortly with another another story by Philip K. Dick. <laughs>